Overdrive. Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that puts a magnifying glass to the role of cars and transport in our society and tries to burn a hole in it. I'm David Brown, and in this program we have news stories including Dyson cancels its electric car project, and a survey shows that tyre wear is out of sight and out of mind. We hear from our motoring correspondent in Melbourne about the details from the launch of the Nissan N-Trek Warrior. Rob Fraser and I talk about driving the new Kia Seltos in the great outdoors, and we have a quirky news story with Brian Smith. You can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au or previous programs are available as podcasts on iTunes or Spotify. Or you can go to our Facebook site, Overdrive City. So let's start the program with the news. The Dyson Company, best known for producing vacuum cleaners and hand dryers, has cancelled its project to build an electric car, saying that it was not commercially viable. First announced in 2016, they plan to release a large premium saloon car in 2021. However, they now say that they cannot compete with the large car manufacturers, although they will continue to try and develop better battery technology. One of Overdrive's technical experts may give an idea as to why building and maintaining a car manufacturing service is financially difficult. Our expert volunteers to repair broken electrical items in an effort to improve recycling. In regards to Dyson vacuum cleaners, his experience is that the batteries may only last two years with regular charging and recharging, and the appliances are really hard to disassemble. Special tools are required. It is understood that the genuine battery packs for Tysons are also very expensive. More than half of all trips in the United States could be carried out on a bike in no more than 20 minutes, and more than one in four trips could be done by walking in 20 minutes or less, according to the 2017 National Household Travel Survey. At present, the great majority of these trips are being made by car or motorbike. A study by Rails to Trails Conservancy suggests that investment in trails, walking and biking infrastructure could generate $138 billion annually for the US economy. The study, which aggregates data about the health cost savings, climate protection, mobility and direct economic value of trails and active transport, found that currently active transport infrastructure contributes more than $34 billion to the US economy annually. The report says that 11.5% of all trips are currently made by walking and biking, yet federal transport policy only invests less than 2% of funds in bicycle and pedestrian projects. However, it must be remembered that the average length of walking and cycling trips is probably lower, and so the figures may not represent the nature of the whole transport task. Kia's brand new model, the Seltos, is a compact SUV. Kia Motors Australia Chief Operating Officer Damien Meredith said there has been a space in our product lineup for this car for longer than we would have ideally liked. The car is at the upper end of size in the category, being slightly larger than a Hyundai Kona 
and appreciably roomier than the just-released Hyundai Venue. It comes with either a non-turbo 2-litre two-wheel drive with CVT gearbox or a 1.6-litre turbo with four-wheel drive and a seven-speed dual-clutch transmission. With very good comfort and safety features, including the top specification GT line, which has heated and ventilated front seats, prices vary between $26,000 and $42,000, but that's drive away, no more to pay, including a seven-year warranty, seven-year fixed-price servicing, and seven-year roadside assist. Kia continues to push hard on value for money. A survey of more than 2,000 British drivers found a low understanding of the legal and safety requirements for the tread depth of tyres. Of those questions, 40% gave an incorrect figure for the legal minimum tread, while 20% confessed to simply not knowing. 4% of those surveys said, incorrectly, the minimum depth depends on the make of the tyre. Most disappointingly, 11% said they didn't know what tyre tread depth meant. Nor is there enough prevention of problems rather than cure. 12% said that they never checked their tyre pressures. And if you got into trouble through poor tyre maintenance, sadly 38% have no confidence on how to fit a spare wheel. The minimum legal tread depth in Australia is 1.5 millimetres. Hyundai's Veloster is their small two-door sports car. They have just launched the second generation of this vehicle, describing it with words such as a coupe cool, sports styling and improved stability during high-speed cornering. Soon after the launch came another Veloster announcement, but this one a little more from left field. Hyundai said that they will reveal the Veloster Grappler concept car, which is a rugged and sporty compact ready for any all-terrain adventure. Hyundai will show this for the first time at the 2019 SEMA show. This is not a normal motoring show, as it is not open to the public, but only to trade representatives. It will be held in Las Vegas. Perhaps it indicates more of a show and tell of aftermarket capability rather than mainstream production potential. And that has been the news. Peugeot is a brand that's definitely seeing a resurgence in popularity in Australia. They're doing really well. Amongst their models sits the small, medium-sized hatch, the 308. They upgraded the GT version back in July, and Rob Fraser has spent a week in one. Let me start out by saying I really liked the Peugeot 308 GT. It definitely has that French design flair that translates into some quite clever features, and some that leave you scratching your head wondering, why? The 308 GT sits as the mainstream sporty model just under the Rocket 308 GTI. It has a refined sporty feel, not as fast as the GTI obviously, but with a more than enough driver engagement for most owners. The new 8-speed transmission has improved the day-to-day driver appeal and combined with the 1.6-litre turbo petrol engine that produces about 165 kilowatts, it has enough zip to make driving fun. With selectable sports transmission, retuned suspension, a lower ride height and a host of comfort and safety features, the 308 GT with a 5-year unlimited kilometre warranty and roadside assistance is priced at just under $40,000 plus the usual road costs. It presents a real alternative for buyers that want something just a little bit different. You're listening to Overdrive. 
Well, we've been talking here on Overdrive for some time how the rough and tough, which used to be with just four-wheel drives that were like station wagons, now SUVs, have really been taken up by the utility. They've taken up this mantle of having the hero cars, the top-of-the-range versions that are really very aggressive and have very aggressive names. Well, Nissan has had uh, some of their Navaras have been tricked up a bit, but now they've gone even further. They had a launch in Melbourne, and our Melbourne correspondent, Christopher, went along to the event. He joins us on the line now. G'day, Chris. How are you going, David? I'm doing pretty well. So tell me, uh, this is N-Trek Warrior. Does it look beefy? Yeah, it does, actually. I mean, it looks like a tricked-up normal Navara, but uh, there was more under the skin. So it's not just bling, what did they do for it? Well, they did a couple of things, like the front bumper, for instance, which looks like any ordinary modern four-wheel drive or car bumper, like a plastic bumper, is actually made out of steel. So it's a proper, what we might call in old terms, rhubarb. Ah. But it's painted and it looks just like a normal bumper bar on a four-wheel drive. Yeah, but it's, it's pretty strong. It's got flared guards and things. Yeah, yeah, they were put on because they they put special wheels and, and special tyres on it. And they also put a lightweight strengthening plate right under the entire chassis, which uh, enables it to protect the underside, but also strengthens the uh, chassis itself. This is uh, not just show and tell, it's actually got some depth to it. They've actually done a lot of work. They, they commissioned a company to do it, didn't they? They did. What's really interesting about that is the launch was in their factory. They're getting ready to produce quite a few of these for the Australian and New Zealand market. But uh, importantly, in the car industry, they employ 40 people, which is probably good news. One of the things about it, the sales of these dual cab SUVs, is that quite a lot of them are being sold now as the, the premium, the upmarket versions. It seems to me that their advertising matches their, their practice because there are quite a number of things on this car, including uh, you know, special Cybe lights, special uh, Munro shockers. But interestingly, they've made this car a proper off-road car, so the suspension has been altered to the point where it's slightly softer so that the wheels will follow into deep ruts and actually keep the car stable. So it's designed to be, to be a serious off-roader. I think, to a degree, that's part of the credibility. It's not as if people buy these things just to look good. There still is a strong market for people who want to get very serious about where they drive. In fact, I've got friends who go four-wheel driving all the time and they end up posting their speed up a track that looks like a a track that would destroy any normal car, but the uh, four-wheel drive goes up it and uh, subtly takes the passengers to where they need to go. They think it's fantastic. Christopher, you have your own shed of which you work on some lovely historic Jaguars, including building up a, a racing Mark One. You found that the their factory out there, you were saying, how pristine it was it? Brilliantly presented. Not a drop of grease anywhere or oil. <laughs> it was a painted floor. And they had five or six hoists. Um, they had individual workbenches that were so clean. In fact, I've taken a couple of photographs. I should send you those ones. Mm. It obviously is going to get busier as they uh, disassemble and assemble the cars. I'll have to disassemble, obviously, the 
the Navaras that come in and then put all the go bits on them. But it was certainly quite a, a, a big space and quite well presented, far more tidy than my space out at Dandenong. <laughs> You've shown me some of the devices you have, which are perhaps not the latest, that, that don't plug into a computer, which are, for which you still tune cars, which I think is lovely. You said it was for Australia and New Zealand. Is it only for those markets? Well, interesting. One of the journalists asked that, and they were a little bit evasive about it, but I got the impression that uh, if this was successful in Australia and New Zealand, they would probably want to take it elsewhere. Christopher, lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time. That's okay. And that's our correspondent in uh, Victoria, in Melbourne. He was talking about the new Nissan N Trek Warrior Utility. You're listening to Overdrive. More and more cars now have automatic emergency braking. It's now an essential requirement to get a five-star crash rating in Australia. Some systems say they can detect pedestrians, but David Brown says it's not that simple. New research from the American Automobile Association reveals that the pedestrian detection aspects of automatic emergency braking systems perform inconsistently and prove to be completely ineffective at night. Testing also found that when a vehicle was turning and came across a pedestrian, the systems did not react at all, colliding with the adult pedestrian dummy every time. Clearly further development is necessary and this raises issues of informing the public about variations and limitations in these systems. On average, nearly 6,000 pedestrians die on American roads each year, accounting for 16% of all traffic deaths, a percentage that has steadily grown since 2010, and 75% of pedestrian fatalities occur after dark. This is Overdrive across Australia. Well, we just tootled up to uh, Brisbane and then drove up to Noosa, driving north. Now, Noosa is a little bit more of a sophisticated uh, retirement, holiday type of area. If we had have gone down south from Brisbane, we might have got to the Gold Coast, which is a little bit more glitz and tinsel. The car we went in was a new Kia which in itself is aiming at a rather sophisticated market. And the person who was there and uh, also enjoyed the experience is our good friend Rob Fraser. G'day, Rob. David, how are you? Very well. It is an SUV, a small SUV. Is it sophisticated? Um, I'd say yes. Yeah, it's certainly got a lot of technology and attention to detail in it. Mm. It's at the forefront of that very small segment, I'd say. It's not the most compact of SUVs. It's a bit bigger than that. It's around the Hyundai Kona, perhaps even a little bigger than that. It almost is a, a bridge between that small and small, medium size. It's not quite as large, say, as a Hyundai Tucson, but a bit bigger than a Hyundai Kona. The notion of it probably is that it'll be mainly used in urban areas, yet... How does it go on a variety of situations when you were travelling through the country? For example, what was it like on the highway? There's two different versions. There's a two-litre engine model and being front-wheel drive and a 1.6-litre turbo engine, which is all-wheel drive. And the two of them have slightly different characteristics. But both of them, actually, I felt really comfortable driving. They, they cruised along. They did nothing wrong. It was very, very relaxed driving, to be honest. 
To be quite honest with you, sometimes the base model is better. It doesn't have as low-profile tyres. It's only the two-wheel drive, and so it's not as heavy in one sense. The thing about it is you can get it in a variety of colours, and if you're going down the highway and you get the top model, you can get it two-toned, but you don't get the sunroof with it. I actually prefer the two-tone colour. Yeah, true. And I, and I think, I mean, that's a factory detail. But I also think in something like that, the sunroof quite often takes up a lot of headroom mm. for not very much space. You're a big fella. It's compromising when you might need it the most. I also drove it out into some of the back roads, as, as we both did on the what we would call in Australia secondary highways, in a flowing back road. Did it cope well? did. There was a couple of sections there north of that montville Mullaney area, sort of heading up north and then back down into Noosa. There was up through the trees, beautiful, hilly, windy roads, and it actually drove really nicely. Soaked up a lot of the bumps. Yes. And, uh, you know, there's a few sections there where the corners tightened right up on you. We weren't going terribly fast, but... It just sort of plotted around the corner without too much hustle. It was good. It flowed, I thought, rather well. Comfort inside? Obviously changes depending upon the model you're in. The higher the model, the more bling, the more comfort, you know, leather seats, that type of stuff. But even the base model, the seats were, were really comfortable. Other than the fact that, you know, some of your elbow touch points are a little bit hard. You don't have the same padding on the door or the centre console lid. But apart from that, yeah, not very comfortable. Plenty of room, even for some of my height. I think I like about going through that area is things like the Glasshouse Mountains. You, isn't it wonderful where you drive through there? I went up to the lookout, and that was typical, wide open and almost a bit hazy in in the look. But occasionally, when you're driving along those roads, suddenly one of these stark glasshouse mountains which are a volcanic plug 26 to 27 million years ago they forced their way up and then cooled down and then the rest of the ground around it eroded and left this protrusion out of there it's a lovely area for that what sort of responses do you have i very much agree the, the beauty i like is when you're driving along and you're up on the ridge especially through that mullaney montville sort of area woodford and you get you just get glimpses across, and it, it drops off beautifully. You get this fantastic vista yeah. out in front of you of all that sort of low ground, and then, as you see, these mountains that just appear out of nowhere. It is absolutely stunning. So here we are in the Seltos. Oh, gee, I don't tell you what, I don't like the name. There's a lot of cars that can, that can fall into the same category as well. I've said that a Seltos to me sounds like a mint you rush to get after you've been eating garlic. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently it's got some Greek mythology, but gee, I tried to look that up and even that seemed a bit obscure, but I guess we'll get used to it. What's it worth? The really priced Sharp, the entry-level S model, which is a, a front-wheel drive, two-litre, that's starting price at twenty five nine ninety. drive away, which is really sharp pricing, right through to the top of the line, the GT line, all-wheel drive, this with a 1.6-litre turbo, that's about forty one nine ninety. drive away, very sharp pricing particularly for what you get in it yeah. my choice was picking up a sport or a sport plus in that two-wheel drive front-wheel drive which is unusual for me but bear in mind they believe 80 percent of these vehicles will be front-wheel drive and most of them will be driven in the urban environment that one just seemed to have the best balance it's on sale here in australia from october 25 and they'll have a little bit of a restricted supply for a little while so i would say Go and have a quick look at it and put an order in if you want to buy it because you might have a bit of a wait list otherwise. 
I enjoy driving it. I love going through the area, as I know you did too, Rob. Thank you for giving us your reflections. Thank you, David. Rob Fraser from ozroma.com.au and a number of other websites. Go to totallyauto.com.au and find them all. And we were talking about the uh, Kia Seltos, a small SUV, but not too small and certainly very competent. This is Overdrive across Australia. Among the growing number of family seven-seat SUVs on the market in Australia, Skoda snuck in the Kodiak in mid-2017. And it sits in a crowded and very competitive segment. How does it measure up, though? Rob Fraser tells us. Sometimes when you haven't driven a car previously, it can surprise you. The Skoda Kodiak is such a car. Why? Because it really is very good. Powered by a 2-litre TSI petrol engine, it has a 7-speed dual-clutch transmission, seating for 7 and all-wheel drive, so it's ideal for the family. As you might expect, the Kodiak is packed with a heap of safety and comfort features, as well as great connectivity and infotainment technology. But there's also a couple of really clever design features. The hidden umbrella in the front passenger door, the innovative door edge protection that appears when the doors are opened, the motion-operated tailgate that opens high enough for my 190cm frame, and the starter button on the steering column. Simple, but intuitive. With driveway prices for around $47,500 for the entry model and $51,500 for the Sportline, they represent excellent value and deserve to sell in large numbers. This is Overdrive across Australia. And here we are again at the end of the program and what a better way to go than to have Brian Smith to talk about the more weird stories to do with motoring and transport. He's on the line now. G'day, Brian. G'day, David. Now, what's happening in China? Well, China, it's making great strides, of course, and uh, belt and road and all that stuff. But look, a private historic vehicle museum in China called the Sanhe Classic Car Museum, it's in Chengdu, has just joined FIFA, not uh, the FIFA, not it's nothing to do with football, but it's the Federation Internationale des Vehicles Anciens, or the International Federation of Historic Vehicles. So this is quite an important move. This private museum has something like 230 historic cars dating back from the 1990 uh, from the 1900s through to the 1990s so so the international community now embracing china in terms of uh, of historic vehicles so i guess given the size of the population and the influence that china has it would be good news for the preservation of historic vehicles to have china involved there's uh, three vehicle museums for classic vehicles in china in beijing and shanghai and the one we mentioned in Chengdu. And Chengdu is a town of, uh, or city of 8 million, and can go back to 300 BC, David, it's traced back to. Oh, isn't that lovely? Quite astounding. But they've got some pretty nice stuff. They've got a Benz patent motor wagon replica, so one of the very first vehicles. So, yeah, I mean... But Brian, 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 it's, it's capitalism. It's back to 1906 Cadillac, the 1910 Napier, Rolls-Royce, Silver Ghost, and Auburn. It's, it's not the character of Chinese transport, although there are a few Chinese cars there. This is only uh, something that could have happened after they became more capitalist. Yes, yeah. It's fascinating to think these vehicles have been acquired or, or made their way into China. And, of course, they also have a collection of these Hongkui, which are the um, Chinese-built 
car for the senior members of the Communist Party and government officials. So they've got a collection of those as well. I thought it was pronounced honky, but perhaps honkui, H-A-N-G-Q-I, Q-U-I. Could be honky. My uh, Mandarin is rusty. Yeah, <laughs> I just like the idea of honky. It sounds. Hmm. This is the ones that the elite drove, and so the early stages of the Chinese industry was really building cars, pretty much on Russian lines. I think. Yeah. Yes. That's very utilitarian looking. The honky is a is a kind of a very angular black sedan looking thing. They also had the Dong Feng, which I thought was rather good, and the Shanghai. Now, Brian, though, you have a passion for that part of motoring history. I'm thinking of the Trabant. Oh, yes, the sort of uh, Eastern European kind of communism. I like that stuff. I like the utilitarian vehicles that were never intended to last a long time and were not a lot of time was spent on making them comfortable or luxurious. Maybe that was a much more honest bit of motoring where it wasn't just sold on, well, I suppose we do do new technology, but there's awful, an awful lot of marketing in it, isn't it? If- oh, well, also they're about providing freedom to the people. Yes, You know, yes. it's the Volkswagen Beetle, the original, I suppose, is the is the classic of that style of something that's that's intended to yeah make people's lives better rather than, you know, talking about some Bugatti Veyron that, Yes, you know, three people in the world could own. Much more interesting to look at these vehicles that you know were trying to solve a problem cheaply and provide a, you know, improved life for people. The other issue is that uh, quite a number of Chinese cars copied. Oh yes, quite directly copied some other cars. Now we know the Japanese mirrored the British cars, and they did it better. But these were really very clear copies. There was an article the other day on all the cars, you know, the ones that look like a Rolls-Royce and that. Now, yes. in the past, that might have been almost offensive. Now it's almost taken with pride. We're, we are, of course, in a post-truth world where we don't claim if we've stolen a design, so what? Yeah. Our whole world now is focused on not saying oh, I did something illegal, I'm sorry, but now it's, I did something illegal, so what? It's Trumpian, isn't it? Yeah, well, and the British Prime Minister, you know, can look straight down a camera at a hospital, which someone accused him of being a PR stunt, and say, looking straight down the camera, there are no cameras here. Yeah, (laughs) yes, yes. And we get away with it. So, So perhaps the Chinese... Museum of the Future will, with great pride, show... Their own replicas. It's, it's replicas. And this has been Overdrive. I'd like to thank the Overdrive team and its supporters for their help in producing this program, particularly Brian Smith, Rob Fraser, Christopher Ledbeater and Paul Just. Overdrive can be heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. You can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au and previous programs are available as podcasts on iTunes or Spotify. And, of course, there's our Facebook page, Overdrive City. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.